I can begin with a uh, sharing a regrettable pun, like what my wife has to put up with on a daily basis. We were driving here not an hour ago, and there was a constable behind us, and so the boys are discussing what kind of a police officer it is. And I turned to my wife and I said, do you know what it means if that cop is here for you? She said, no. I said, it means it's a dame warden. Na 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 na. All right. Yes, she has great pity on me. There will be persecution and suffering for believers, some more imminent than others. Let us pray. And uh, I have a uh, a bit of a longer narrative this morning. Um, so if I don't pause for questions, I apologize, but I'll try to make room at the end. Um, so I'll pray. Father, we thank you so. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your constant pursuit, the way that you know exactly how to reach our hearts, how to get our attention, to draw us back to you, to draw us back to your life, the constant presence and the gifts that you have given in your person. We thank you that you will not allow us to live meager lives that are lacking of the fullness of your promises, but you constantly, constantly work to expose and to reveal the fullness of you. So we praise you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Um, 1 Samuel 24 uh, and 26 um, is what I'm going to get to, but I have, uh, this is kind of what the Lord's been immediately doing in my life um, in some unusual ways. So I wanted to share with this just to kind of to share like this is the activity of the Lord and some unusual things. Um, The past few weeks, a bunch of weeks, I've discovered something interesting and it's that becoming king of Israel is actually just like selling a car. And I think most of you have thought that when you've tried to sell a car, this is just like what it's like to try to become king of Israel. in that both of those are things that they won't happen unless it's God that makes it happen. (laughs) And this is from experience. This is what we've been working on. It's selling a car. I haven't been trying to become king of Israel. Um, And it was so surreal that I knew that God was in the middle of it because the easy, quick, simple parts were difficult and they took way longer than expected. And then the difficult part, was over almost immediately. Everything was reversed, and that wasn't accidental. And it was clear to me throughout, because of how backwards it was, it was really clear that Jesus was putting the, uh, the brakes on some things and then accelerating other parts. But it was exactly because everything was reversed that my faith was tested. And I can say now that I'm grateful that Jesus affected those reversals. I am glad of the process that he took me through. And with (laughs) a bit of trepidation, I can even say, I, I believe that if he has that for me again in something, I want to go through that process. I don't think I'm gonna have to sell a million cars, but with other things and with other expectations, if he reverses those again, It really is, as long as I have that awareness that this is what Christ is doing, I want to welcome those expectations that um, 
go different from mine. Um, and it sounds silly now to say it in these words, but selling a car became a spiritual crisis. And that's not true of every car sale, I hope. But it was this time because a spiritual crisis in your life, it will take whatever form most disadvantages you so that Christ will be revealed. Um, and this isn't a story just to kill time about talking about my life. Um, we're going to get to some irregular uh, expectations in David's life. But first, the car. Um, this is a car that we'd had for many years, way back when I was on staff at His Hill. Um, in my former days, when I was still a Canadian, this was the first car that I bought in the U.S. Um, it's that old. And... Um, it served us really well, but times had changed. We needed a truck for the new responsibilities and blessings that the Lord brought into our life. So in September, it's the end of November now, we decided we we're going to sell this car, and that's when these reversals started. Normally, this is a one-step process. Sell the car. Okay, we're done. Story's over. But first off, because we weren't driving the car, the state inspection had expired back in March. Okay, minor detail, just go get it inspected. No, 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 not so fast. I'd had a vehicle inspection before that failed because of the wiper blades. And I remember sitting there going, really? Everything else is fine but the wiper blades. And they're like, yep, no, we, they're, they're terrible. They can't, we can't pass it. And they didn't have replacement wiper blades. So it was like, hey, what can... Uh, so, and I remembered that. That was... <laughs> With every vehicle inspection, that's always on my mind. And I thought, okay, I am not going to let that happen again. So I got all new wiper blades, but that ended up taking a couple days to complete. But, you know, it's a little problem, little problem resolved. Now go get it inspected and sell it. Well, it turns out the battery is dead. Not drained, but dead. I could not jumpstart the car with booster cables. It had absolutely cratered. There was no life to be found in this thing. But, you know, that's okay. It's a minor detail. We'll go get a new battery. Out comes the car battery. I took it in. Praise God, it was still under warranty. They took a look at it, and they're like, yeah, no, this is, this is gone. They gave me a brand new battery. So now I've got wiper blades are good. The car has a shiny new free battery in it. Um, but, again, all this took a couple more days to complete. Uh, but it was another little problem. It's resolved. Now go get the car inspected and sell it. We had some other delays that come up, uh, came up, and I couldn't make it for a few weeks. So finally, I'm on my way to take it in, and I pick on accident, not the Lord's accident, but mine. I pick the one day where the inspection place closes early. But it, it's okay. It's a minor detail, right? It's just one more minor detail, and I still can't get to step one. But that's all right. It's a minor detail. We'll just go the next day. I'm on my drive home, and everything's going fine. I filled up the tank, so I'm not going to run out of gas. That's gonna, not going to be a problem. I inflated all the tires. Those are not going to be a problem either. And I'm almost home, and on the dashboard in front of me, a little light comes on. And it's a little red light. And some may call it a pretty light and a pretty red shade, but I didn't think it was pretty because this little dashboard light is in the shape of an oil can, an old-fashioned oil can. And it's the kind where you have this little container, and you have this long neck, and you have this loopy handle on the end, and this little red oil can is tilted, so there's a little red oil drop coming out of the long neck. 
and accompanying this little red oil light is an insistent ding, ding, ding bell. And some of you are laughing. Some of you are despairing on my behalf. Some of you are sitting there like, that's okay. It's a light. Hopefully you're not thinking, big deal, I see that all the time. <laughs> the oil light is not like the low fuel light. The low fuel light may stress you out at times because you're like, I don't know if I can make it, but compared to the oil light, low fuel is like, it's like this kindly flight attendant, right? Saying like, hey, we're gonna be landing soon, so if you would be so good as to return the tray table into the default orientation upright, that would be very good of you. The low fuel means pardon, but please do try to stop for gas soon, because if you run out, the car will come to a stop until you go and get more gas. The oil light is not like the low fuel light. The oil light, if the low fuel is like a kindly flight attendant, the oil light is like a mafia goon on your doorstep at 10 p.m. coming to discuss a late loan payment. The oil light means I'm here because you messed up. And it's time to stop whatever driving you was up to because that's a real nice engine block you got there. And it sure would be a shame if something was to happen to it. You can drive a car out of gas and it will stop. But if you try to drive a car without oil, you can kill the engine to where you have to replace it. And if you've ever gone through this, you will find out to amazement, sometimes if you seize the engine block, it can be cheaper to walk away from that car and buy a completely new one, and it will be less expensive than to take out the engine and put a new one in. So I'm driving home and the oil light comes on, and instantly I know I'm not going back to the vehicle inspection the next day. I pull over immediately, I pop the hood, and already I have some blue smoke. Some, not a lot, some, but none. No blue smoke is ideal. And if you're trying to sell a car for money, an engine with blue smoke is not a selling feature. And so these are these moments that as you keep trying to move forward and the Lord's like, no. Peter Reed talked about this, when, when God gives his no. In my soul, I'm trying to still argue at this point. I'm looking at this blue smoke, and I was like, it's just a minor detail. It's just a minor. Um, now, all I merely have to do is I just have to take it to the shop. So I called the tow truck. We have a tow, and in a couple of weeks, it comes back. Um, again, very gracious of the Lord. It was just old gaskets. They had cracked um, glad that the timing of it, I was able to pull over safely. Much, much better than a seized engine, but still a few hundred dollars. Um, everything else on the car was fine, but now it's several weeks after I began all of this, where I'm just trying to take the car in for the vehicle inspection. So we get it back, and again, I'm, I'm resuming this journey, um, this Abbott and Costello routine between me and the car, and... Um, so I'm going back to the vehicle inspection, and it's raining that day. Um, but I was glad of that, partially because we've had a really significant drought, and partially because I have new wipers. <laughs> and I, with a great sense of relief 
and gratitude at having my having foreseen this windshield wiper problem. I proudly turn on my new wipers. I'm full of the, the hopeful eagerness of seeing these wipers effortlessly brush these raindrops aside. And instead, there is this awful squealing noise as the wipers rise up for their opening journey. Eee! And then having reached the end of travel, there's an even more depressing wood, 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 as they go back. I can see the, the rubber wiper blades slowly walking further off the wiper arms with each horrible wipe. And I can't believe it. I stop the car again, and I'm out there, and I'm looking at these wipers. At this point, there have been so many attempts to get this vehicle to the inspection place. I don't want yet one more setback. It should not be this hard. I'm an adult. It, I can make this happen. It's just a minor detail, please. I look closely at the wipers, and it's the packaging covers. The rubber wiper blades, they had an additional protective sleeve on them that I hadn't noticed. Because at, at this point, right, emotionally, it's just like, no, no, it's slipping further away. And then I notice this. I take the wiper blades off. I get back in. I turn the wipers. They work beautifully. But emotionally, I am, I am ready to quit. I, I got, I'm sitting in this car. The wiper blades are just noiselessly gliding over. The, and I, I'm praying. And I said, Lord, I don't got it. I am a grown man. I have a wife. I have a family. I am not big enough to get a car to a state vehicle inspection. Lord, you have to do this. I've seen so many things that should not be that hard. Just stop and reverse. And I, think, and I said, Lord, I'm going to drive, and I'm going to trust you to get me wherever you need me to go. I'm going to head in the direction of the vehicle inspection place, and you show me where we need to end up. Fast forward, the vehicle inspection passes. I get everything cleaned out. The car is all nice. I get the ad posted on Craigslist for what I thought was a fair price, finally. Some reversals, a lot of provision, and we're finally going to sell. At long last, we have made it to step one of one. Have you ever felt like this? Like, it's just like, go do the thing, why not? And people respond, many people all of whom are offering less than what I am asking. And I am befuddled. And I go to my wife and I show her. And she says, honey, this is part of the negotiations. And my blood pressure hits the roof. Because being a stupid person, I had not thought about that. I had weighed and balanced, and I had searched my soul to come up with a price that I thought was good, which I thought was good. Segue to Proverbs. Proverbs 16, verse 1. The plans of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. 
All the ways of a man are clean in his own sight, but the Lord weighs the motives. Commit your works to the Lord and your plans will be established. The Lord has made everything for its own purpose, even the wicked for the day of evil. Everyone who is proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Assuredly, he will not be unpunished. I can bear witness to that. By loving kindness and truth, iniquity is atoned for. And by the fear of the Lord, one keeps away from evil. When a man's ways are pleasing to the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. Better is a little with righteousness than great income with injustice. The mind of man plans his ways, but the Lord directs his steps. It never, this is how dim-witted I am, it never occurred to me for a second that anyone would approach me unless they were willing to pay precisely what I had asked for. And now I find myself in a world where I have to negotiate a sale? I didn't sign up for that. I'm going to, am I, I'm going to have to change the price? So I was so embarrassed at not having understood that this was coming because I realized that I guess I was supposed to not post the price that I wanted, but a slightly higher price so that by negotiating down, I would hopefully land back on the amount I was looking for all along. And I'm like, no, no, that's not how I'm going to do this. This is not how I am going to do this. I do not wish the world to operate like this. I wish to declare, and I wish them to flock to me as I wish. And it's really in my mind, it's the, and my, my kids are like this at times, and so I understand where they get it from. But it's this moment of like, you're offering me less? No, I do not negotiate with terrorists. <laughs> that, this is, this, and this is what the Lord is getting at. So please, if you ever find yourself being held hostage, do not call upon me to negotiate your release. So in, frust- it goes down from here before it gets better. In frustration and anger, because I'm trying to find out how do we, how do we fix this? I go back to the listing, I up the price, but in my heart I know I will not get what I am looking for. Peter Reed last week talked about temptations as an imbalance between my resources and the demands placed on me. Temptation is about manipulating circumstances to force the resources available to you to line up with the demands placed on you. And so I'm, I'm there on Craigslist trying to crowbar my available resources to line up with the demands. And at the root of all of this, the issue is the question of sufficiency. And the thing that I'm rebelling against at that point, in that moment, is the discovery that I am insufficient. I don't like that. This is scary. This is uncomfortable. It's inconvenient even. <gasps> The response in my heart revealed my insufficiency. It was seeing that I was so ashamed that I didn't want the sale on my terms anymore. In my own eyes, I had become nothing. I saw how pathetic I am. And it's not how pathetic I was. It's how pathetic I am. Because right now, this is still me. We spent a lot of time this past week looking at John 15 
Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. And that was a moment where I recognized there was a lot of nothing that I was up to. Massive amounts of nothing that I was working on. And I repented again, and I prayed, and I told the Lord, Father, I don't got it. I'm a grown man, but this is pride and arrogance, Lord. Thank you that I'm not acting all of this out against my family, but inside I am throwing a tantrum, Lord. You can see it. I'm throwing a tantrum like I am too. We've gone through two years. I remember those. Jesus, you provided this car to begin with. If you hadn't provided, there would have been nothing here. So you take this. Your will be done, not mine. Whatever you want this process to be, I want that. It's already taken weeks, but I don't care about that anymore. However more showings I need to drive to, however much negotiation I need to sit through, I want what you have for me in this. I've seen my will clearly, and I want nothing to do with that. Not my will, Jesus, but yours be done. And that, that prayer in that moment, that felt like the death of the sale because I had done everything I could, yet the easy part, just take, it to the, take the thing to get it inspected. It had had so many issues and delays. And if the easy part was hard, then the hard part that I was about to enter into, that was going to be impossible. The next day, we had someone express interest, but they didn't mention an amount. And from how things had gone thus far, I knew what I was in for now. They wanted to see the car. They wanted to kick the tires. They wanted to test drive. And then the nitpicking was going to start in order to bring the price down. And who knows what it would be with the tires, the air conditioning, the window tint, the radio, the suspension, the anything and everything. And, and I saw that coming and I said, amen, Lord. I just, I want to see you in this. I have seen so much of my own frustration and so much of my disappointment. We're going to go forward, but Lord, whatever it is, I just want to see you in it. We drove down there. They took the car. We were done in 12 minutes. And Doss and I were absolutely shocked at how suddenly we were done and, and going home. No test drive, no negotiating. God had brought someone who was happy to pay not my initial price, but the higher one. God had provided, and it ended up being more than what I had looked for. And I wasn't ready for that. It, and, and the last thing with all of this that I want anyone to take away is that, that, that the money is the takeaway. I don't want you to hear that I was worried, but then Jesus sent cash. And because we received cash, therefore Jesus is good. No, this is not name it and claim it or blab it and grab it, as I, I've heard it referred to, which I prefer. The real blessing for my wife and I with this car sale was it revealed to us a new way that Jesus cares about our lives. He cares for the little things and the big things. And eternally speaking, the sale of an automobile is idiotic. But Jesus used that. He redeemed something idiotic. And out of this inconsequential activity, God crafted the channel through which to confront me about my pride and my arrogance. The miracle in the car sale was that he got through to me. That, that was the thing. That was such a blessing. Some of you know that feeling of having to humble yourself. There was this knife's edge moment for me in the middle of it where I could see exactly why God had staged all these things to reveal something. 
And what he revealed, I'll just read this out loud. This is Jeremiah 17, verses 5 to 10. Thus says the Lord, cursed is the man who trusts in mankind and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. For he will be like a bush in the desert and will not see when prosperity comes, but will live in stony wastes in the wilderness, a land of salt without inhabitant. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose trust is in the Lord. For he will be like a tree planted by water that extends its roots by a stream and will not fear when the heat comes, but its leaves will be green. And it will not be anxious in a year of drought, nor cease to yield fruit. The heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind, even to give to each man according to his ways, according to the results of his deeds. Jesus revealed that self-deceit in me. But whatever he reveals, he also heals. And this is the point. This was... As I was trying to think through um, this, this section from 1 Samuel, this is what he was doing while I was trying to figure out, how do you even talk about David? Um, these are the sections where Saul is pursuing him, trying to destroy David. So from 1 Samuel 24, this is verses 1 through 7. Now, when Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, he was told, saying, Behold, David is in the wilderness of En Gedi. Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men from all Israel and went to seek David and his men, and his, uh, to seek David and his men in front of the rocks of the wild goats. He came to the sheepfolds on the way, where there was a cave, and Saul went in to relieve himself. Now, David and his men were sitting in the inner recesses of the cave. The men of David said, Behold, this is the day of which the Lord said to you, Behold, I am about to give your enemy into your hand, and you shall do to him as it seems good to you. Those men are not quoting scripture. <laughs> the, the Lord hath not saideth this. This is those men hath saideth what they wanted, because they were sick of where they were, understandably so. Then David arose and cut off the edge of Saul's robe secretly. It came about afterwards that David's consciousness bothered him because he had cut off the edge of Saul's robe. So he said to his men, far be it from me because, because of the Lord that I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed, to stretch out my hand against him, since he is the Lord's anointed. David persuaded his men with these words and did not allow them to rise up against Saul. And Saul arose and left the cave and went on his way. Later, David calls out to Saul and shows him the piece of robe in his hand. He shows Saul how close he was and that while he could have, David intentionally spared him when it would have been just as easy to kill Saul. David, at this point, he's already anointed by Samuel to be Israel's next king. But because God has not removed Saul, David is forced to wait. These circumstances... They must have been a sore temptation to David to remove Saul. Even if David cared absolutely nothing about becoming king, it's still an opportunity to, for one, stop this life on the run and this forever camping. And it's not anything like modern camping. 
where there's a campsite and it's level and it's organized. This is just straight wilderness survival. If you get hurt, there's no going home. You are home. If you have a wound and you need to have a dressing changed regularly, good luck and hopefully you can get out of the rain. This is, these are the circumstances that they're in. And there's one other thing that removing Saul would have been an opportunity for. It could have been an opportunity to focus on fighting the Philistines and other enemy nations without the constant distraction of your own nation pursuing you to kill you. What if our armed forces worked like this? Currently, with the combat taking place in Gaza, there's a U.S. Uh, carrier group in the Mediterranean. It's the USS Gerald R. Ford. That carrier group has to keep a lookout for all ships and planes around it. But imagine if the commander had to be on extra guard against friendly vessels. What if the greater concern wasn't Egypt or Syria, but other U.S. Navy ships, because your own Navy is a bigger active threat than those other nations? But that is Saul, king of all Israel. The man that David is right next to isn't just bad at being king. It's much worse than that. Saul is actively damaging and undermining the nation he is ruler over. And not because it's Saul's goal, but it's because of the neglect that's brought on by Saul's pride and arrogance. Saul is destructive because he is refusing to obey God. And then this plays out again. This is 1 Samuel 26. Then the Ziphites came to Saul at Gibeah, saying, Is not David hiding on the hill of Hakalah, which is before Jeshimon? So Saul arose and went down to the wilderness of Ziph, having with him 3,000 chosen men of Israel to search for David in the wilderness of Ziph. This is the second time these 3,000 chosen soldiers of Saul are mentioned. And a mention is all they get because they never accomplish anything. They never catch David. They just walk around. If you were among the 3,000 chosen of Saul, you knew that when Saul went to catch David, it actually meant it's time to work out in the wilderness. It's leg day. That's what you're going to be doing. Verse 3, Saul camped in the hill of Hilkalah, which is before Jeshimon beside the road, and David was staying in the wilderness. When he saw that Saul came after him into the wilderness, David sent out spies, and he knew Saul was definitely coming. David then arose and came to the place where Saul was camped, and David saw the place where Saul lay, and Abner, the son of Ner, the, com uh, the commander of his army. And Saul was lying in a circle of the camp, and the people were camped around him. Then David said to, him, to Ahimelech the Hittite and to Abishai the son of Zerai, pardon my pronunciation there, Joab's brother, saying, Who will go with me to Saul in the camp? And Abishai said, I will go down with you. So David and Abishai came to the people by night, and behold, Saul lay sleeping inside the circle of the camp with his spear stuck in the ground at his head, and Abner and the people were lying around him. Then Abishai said to David, Today, God, he's not going to shout. They're all sleeping. Today, God has delivered your enemy into your hand. Now, therefore, please let me strike him with a spear to the ground with one stroke, and I will not strike him a second time. 
But David said to Abishai, Do not destroy him. For who can stretch out his hand against the Lord's anointed and be without guilt? David also said, As the Lord lives, surely the Lord will strike him. Or his day will come that he dies, or he will go down into battle and perish. The Lord forbid that I stretch out my hand against the Lord's anointed. But now please take the spear that is at his head and the jug of water and let us go. Charles Price did a wonderful job this past week at the Thanksgiving conference speaking about being tempted versus being tested. And one of my favorite parts was his commentary on Abraham and Sarah. He said, with 10 years of the promise of God ringing in their ears, Abraham and Sarah decided to do something that sounds reasonable. They dedicated themselves to do the will of God. They decided it was taking too long, and so Abraham and Sarah decided that they were going to make the will of God done be accomplished. And David has the same promise ringing in his ears, and so do the men following him. David wasn't on the run alone. He wasn't lost in the woods and then stumbled upon some kind of wilderness survival reenactment group. These were guys that were dedicated to him for some reason. Um, Maybe not all of them honestly, but at least some of them must have remembered David fighting Goliath and seeing the heart of the Lord that he had and saying, yes, this, this man, this, I can't vote for him, but I can follow him. This, basically this time that I'm spending, this is my vote for this king. And we heard this past week, temptation isn't always about doing bad things. There can be temptations to do good. And you can come up with tons of arguments why killing Saul is a good thing. Isn't it good for this? Isn't it good for this? Isn't it good for that? That's fine. But it's always a temptation to do this good in independence from God. But then what's David's secret? Why didn't he give in and kill Saul? And why didn't he give in and not stop Abishai? I think, and this is my opinion, I think that David did not give in to this temptation because he had become nothing in his own eyes already. David came empty to God because God had emptied him. We don't see hesitation in David before Goliath, who physically is a far more formidable opponent and a far more formidable problem in every way. Saul is not formidable like that. But by this point, David has had much of the same training as Moses and as Elijah, whom God took into the wilderness. And there in that wilderness, God let those men show themselves all the nothing that they could do. It's in this weakness. And so what I said earlier, selling a car is a lot like becoming king of Israel. There's this revelation of our own weakness. But weak people with a knowledge of their own failure and of their own incompetence have an easier time turning to the Lord. And it's because we know, we've shown, we've proved to ourselves that we need him. If you are in a place where you feel defeated and empty and like a failure, Majorian Thomas used to say he felt fit to quit. His advice was quit and experience the indescribable reality of the life living in you that Jesus died to place there. Where repentance, and and I mentioned throughout this whole experience with a car, repentance says, I cannot, and that's good, but that is not the end of it. There is something else to recognize because the world repeatedly repents and says, well, I can't do this. But then oftentimes they remain in that state of hopelessness instead of turning to the Lord in faith, 
where repentance says, I cannot, faith says, God, you can. And that, that is the freedom in Christ that the Lord wants to bring us to. And we don't have a specific record of one thing that David experienced, and that's what took him there. But I know from my experience, it's not usually one thing. It's a series of small, it's just a minor detail, it's just a minor detail. Here comes another one, here comes another one. And it's that consistency of the Lord of saying, you are not enough and that's okay. That's just fine. We get a promise that we're excited about and then there's a reversal, which makes that promise not difficult but impossible. And it's that in that impossibility, when we recognize that, we come to the Lord and then he brings about what we could not. And the blessing there is the freedom of knowing that yes, this happened and by golly, it was not my fault that everything is so successful. Praise the Lord for his goodness and his patience. Praise the Lord that he did not allow me to stand in the way of this. Yeah, he speaks through me and I praise him for that, but I'm also not surprised anymore because of how much I've seen him do. He is such a good God. We're out of time. Sorry about that, but Jeff, will you pray?